Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you. Thank you. You may take a seat. Thank you to our wonderful worship team, to creating an atmosphere here. Thank you to our crew led by Andrew, helping create the atmosphere here. Thank you to our cafe team, led by Katish, helping to create the atmosphere. To our greeting team, led by Don, helping to create the atmosphere. To our kids team, led by Linda, helping to create the atmosphere. It's what we get to experience and enjoy and we should never take for granted. And uh, thank you for all participating in, in that. It's good to be back. Been away a few weeks. We... Did our, had our grandies for nearly three weeks, as you knew. It took us a few weeks to get over that and recover from that. I think we're just about back to normal after that. We got into our home, though, and it was like, oh, it's quiet here. There's nobody running around and no tornadoes or anything like that to clean up after. But uh, it was great. And we also got to uh, be part of the dedication of our youngest granddaughter, Ada, who was dedicated two weeks ago up at Kingscliff and got to preach up there, which was great. And uh, last week we were at C3 Lane Cove. Thank you for releasing us to be a blessing to, uh, hopefully we're a blessing to churches that we go to. So um, I do actually want to just uh, let you know of something that's uh, uh, happening tomorrow on a current affair. There's going to be a story apparently about um, Pastor Phil. So uh, we're not sure the details of the story, but... uh, we think it's going to be something to do with uh, one of our churches in Sydney that uh, sort of had a, been through a really rough time and a lot of hurt and wounded people uh, as a result of that. And uh, so I think they're trying to build a story, some sort of uh, current affair story, and linking it somehow to Pastor Phil's friendship with Kong Hee and all this kind of thing. So we don't know what exactly it's going to be because upper uh, national conference at the beginning of the month, uh, they... Uh, kind of cornered Pastor Phillies who's crossing the street to go into one of the meetings and uh, buttonholed him then and so uh, we're not sure exactly what the whole thing is going to be but you can probably rest assured they're never good these sort of things so um, that's why we need to keep praying for Pastor Phil and Chris and the team, the global team and uh, uh, so just to let you know and there'll be a response on the global website after after the story has been aired so we know uh, what our response will be. So um, just a heads up on that one. Um, how good were the Raiders on Friday night? <laughs> That's good. And uh, so the, the grand final, who, I know the Rundles have got tickets. Anybody else got tickets to the grand final? So uh, can be, uh, he will sell them to you at a marked up price if you're after them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, so yeah. Good. Uh, not so good for GWS yesterday. That was a bit of embarrassment. But anyway, chalk that one down to experience. Uh, so uh, you've heard it said you should, um, uh, have you ever, you, sh- you know, to sort of enlarge your world a little bit that you should uh, do something uh, for the, f- when was the last time you did something for the first time, right? And heard that before? Well, I had an experience like that during the week. I went to get a haircut on Friday and, uh, and that's nothing unusual about that. Usually I leave it a week or two late before I go for a haircut. But uh, anyway, so I said, yep, can you cut my hair? And three's on the side and seven through the top. And um, can you, um, 
do my eyebrows yet, and that's fine. And then he said, towards the end, he said, oh, do you want me to do your ear hair? And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> so there's nothing unusual about that. Like, but what, what happened after that was, in my mind, unusual. So he got a lighter out and proceeded to singe the hairs on both. It was like, I've never experienced anything like that before. It was certainly, in, has anybody else had that done before? So I'm the only one. So it's, it, right, okay, please, please bear with me in this. It was like I was not expecting that when he got the lighter out and started singeing my ears. So uh, anyway, the, that was the, the last time I'd done something for the first time. So I don't know whether I'll do it again or not. I'm not sure. But it was out of my control, I've got to say. I just went with it. So Okay, we're at the end of the month of September, the, month of, the first month of spring. And we've been talking about um, the, the book of Joel, generation to generation, and in particular, uh, through September, about turning back our hearts. And probably a criticism that gets leveled at the, the broader church from time to time is that we've lost and, and probably don't spend enough time talking about repentance. And that because it's such an important part of our faith, our Christian faith. And if you think about it, Repentance was the reason that we had the Protestant Reformation. It, it was uh, Luther's response to uh, people who were leveraging repentance to make money. And so he, opened, he basically opened up the Reformation by writing the, um, the 95 Theses and nailing them to the Wittendorf Cathedral. But the very first one of those 95 Theses read this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And repentance, I know that uh, the team have been talking and speaking really capably over the last few weeks about it. But I just want to spend some time this morning uh, just helping us get a framework and a perspective around repentance um, so that we can actually embrace it and um, move forward with a healthy understanding of what it is and um, what it is not. Um, really, repentance is the way that we make progress in the Christian life. Uh, indeed, pervasive, all of life repentance is the best sign that we are growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. So repentance isn't just something that we do once to become a Christian. It's actually an ongoing thing. Repentance is a biblical word. The Old Testament really thunders to us from the pages of, and the, of history. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. That's a powerful thing that that scripture is there. Repent from your transgressions so iniquity will not be your ruin. The New Testament vigorously exhorts men and women to repent. In, uh, and Jesus says in Luke 13, Unless you repent, you will um, all likewise perish. The New Testament stirs men and women everywhere towards repentance. Re repent and be converted and you may, that your sins may be blotted out says the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul says, Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. The Bible commands it. Our wickedness demands it. Justice requires it. 
Christ preached it. God expects it. The divine unalterable edict is still valid. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Generation to generation, we're talking about this, this season of, in, and we're unpacking the book of Joel. I would encourage you to read through Joel. It's only short. You can do it in probably 15 or 20 minutes. Read through the whole book. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about how uh, the nation of, of Israel was called to repentance through the prophetic word of Joel. We're talking about restoration, what happens on the other side of repentance and restoration. We're going to be looking at that next month, which is, happens to be Mental Health Month in Canberra. We're going to be talking about how God will restore the years that the locusts have stolen from us. And he brings restoration to those who've repented and walk with him. We're going to be looking at that through the month of, uh, of October. And then in November, we're going to be looking at, at revival and refreshing that comes from understanding and walking in, the, in these uh, aspects of God. But the repentance is the beginning part of it. And I, you know, today, um, we're going to uh, look at individual repentance and corporate repentance. Uh, it's, it's, I've, I've found it pretty challenging bringing this message together because there's so much in it. But I want to just uh, revisit the scripture in Joel chapter 2 that uh, forms the basis of what we're talking about. Even now, turn back your heart and rededicate yourselves to me. Show me your repentance by fasting, weeping and mourning. Rip the wickedness out of your hearts. Don't just tear your clothing. Now, return to the eternal, your true God. You already know he is gracious and compassionate. He does not anger easily and maintains faithful love. He is willing to relent and not harm you. Who knows, perhaps he will turn and relieve you of this threat and leave behind some blessings as he goes. Maybe enough grain and wine to offer to the eternal, your true God. So the encouragement out of this scripture is that we repent, we, we uh, show uh, the fruit of repentance, that we turn our hearts, we rededicate. We don't just tear our hearts, but, uh, our clothes, but we actually get the wickedness, rip the wickedness out of our hearts. And, and God will do some amazing things. There may be even some blessings on the other side of this as we do it. It's kind of, it's not actually a promise, but it's almost like a teaser where he says, maybe there will be a blessing on the other side of your repentance. But even if there's not, you will still be walking in right relationship with God. So the call is to repent. The call to repentance was the beginning of preaching of the biblical gospel. John the Baptist message from the start, we are told, repent for the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand. After John's imprisonment, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus sent the 12 out on the first mission, they went out and preached that people should repent. When on resurrection day evening, Jesus appeared to the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day from, uh, rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's, it's, um, note it's not forgiveness without repentance. It's repentance and forgiveness. 
We sometimes think, well, we can, you can, we can forgive and receive forgiveness without repentance. But it's actually repentance that unlocks these things. And when on Pentecost morning, Peter's spirit-empowered sermon so stirred the crowd, they interrupted him asking what they needed to do. And his first word was, repent. It's such a key theme throughout the Old and the New Testament. Paul described his extended ministry at Ephesus of one of testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Note, it's not faith without repentance. Repentance leads to faith and faith will bring repentance. So Paul, talking to King Agrippa, that he had simply been proclaiming to everyone, to one and all that would listen, that they should repent and turn to God. This is the message of the Old Testament, the New Testament, of Jesus, of the apostles, of the disciples. It's all through Scripture. So in Athens, the intellectual capital of the ancient world, Paul told the Areopagus, the top gathering of Athens' intellectual elite, that God now commands all people everywhere to repent. It doesn't matter if people are hiding behind a shroud of intellectual, um, intellectualism or whatever. Every single person needs to come to a place of repentance. And we should be the people that are part of that process. Repentance was thus the primary preaching of John, of Jesus, of Peter, of Paul. Of Peter's last words that he wrote on paper included the description of Jesus in, in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's the cornerstone, the connect point, the touch point of our faith. The centrality of repentance is the gospel, is in the gospel, and the purpose of Jesus Christ our Lord and is a fact that we must face that we need to live a lifestyle of repentance, not just a one-off moment. I want to have a look at uh, four kind of thoughts, if I, could, if I have time to get through it this morning. Firstly, I want to think about repentance, joy, and transformation. Because repentance is sometimes associated with you know, this kind of somber, bleak kind of thinking, but it's quite the opposite, actually. There's a joy in repentance. The thing about repentance, it is actually a gift that is offered in the context of the goodness of God. It's a response of God's goodness that he offers you and I the gift of repentance. It's not out of judgment or condemnation. It's out of his goodness. That alone in itself is, worth, is worthy of joy. Romans 2.4 says this, Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you to repentance? Every good thing about God is designed to melt your heart and bring you to a place of repentance. Not judge you, condemn you, shame you, victimize you, but to actually melt your heart and bring you to a place of repentance. How good is that? That's the intent of God. The thing about it is that the enemy would try and distort the true intent of this beautiful gift. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, writes this. Repentance is not an emotion. It is not feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. It is deciding you have been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. 
It is deciding that you were wrong in thinking you had or could get the strength, education and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbours and your world. It is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realisation that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. I'd encourage you to read that book, A Long Obedience, in the same direction. Timothy Keller has a few statements that are worth sharing with you on repentance. Fear-based repentance, he says, makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. Legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules, while real repentance says, I broke God's heart. Life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. Repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin, sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin, sorrow over the grievousness of sin. It melts the heart away from sin. It makes the sin itself disgusting to us, so it loses its attractive power over us. We say, this disgusting thing is an affront to the one who died for me. I'm continuing to stab him with it. It's like bringing to a realization that God wants to melt our hearts with his goodness. Revelations 3.19 says this, All those I dearly love, I unmask and train. So repent and be eager to pursue what is right. There needs to be an eagerness in our pursuit of repentance. God wants to unmask the things in us that are not right and train us in the ways of discipleship and moving forward. We must run after it. We must eagerly pursue what is right. Don't wait for it to happen. Pursue repentance immediately. Repentance is not confessing lesser sins so that you can avoid root issues. It is not generalized prayers refusing to name your specific sin to God. It is not an emotional activity to relieve guilty feelings. It is not trying to change your behavior by your own willpower. And it is certainly not confessing sin without renewing your supreme love for Christ. So if you want to get theological about this, there's a book called The Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. Worth reading. It's a big book. Well, you wouldn't read it, but you'd refer to it. It's a reference book. It talks about three elements around repentance. Intellectual, emotional, and voluntary. The intellectual is we change is the change of view with regard to sin, God, and self. That's what the intellectual uh, repentance is about. Emotional repentance is a godly sorrow for sin, a melted heart before God. And the voluntary response is an exercise of the will. You will decide to do something as a result of your melted heart. And so repentance must look like a combination of these sorts of things. Number one, conviction. The Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit, and as a Pentecostal church, we embrace the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit. But the primary number one purpose of the Spirit of God is to bring conviction of sin to man. So that you and I, when we think that little thought that goes, you know what, this is maybe not right. That's the Holy Spirit. 
and we listen to that, that still small voice. And it's, it's that conviction. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of all judgment. The thing about the Holy Spirit is he convicts us of our sin. He convicts us of our hardness of heart. And sometimes when we've been around church life and religious circles for a long time, our heart is so hard we don't even listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the melting that he's wanting to bring to our heart. So repentance is initiated out of conviction and the goodness of God. And maybe there's an element of remorse in this. Maybe there's a sense, oh God, I'm so sorry I've done this. But it's this conviction that's there. And then you confess the second thought. So we've got conviction. Confess your specific sin to God. Speak it out. Name it for what it is. And then, and then thirdly, return to your first love. Go back to Christ. Go back to him and what it is to walk in the fullness of that forgiveness. And then commit to obedience and to wholeness. And then make restitution if you need to. Restitution means restoring what was taken uh, in, in the Hebrew culture, if you took something from someone, you restored it and often had something to it, such as the example of the tax collector. He, he repented and turned and he said, I'm going to restore back what I've taken and stolen. I'm going to add more to it. And there needs to be that sense of restitution. There's forgiveness. We need to offer forgiveness and we need to know how to receive forgiveness as part of the repentance deal. And then there's the forsaking of the sin. Simply changing your, will, your walk so that you're not inclined to commit the same sin again. It's forsaking the sin. Repentance is a Greek word meaning change your mind. Metanoia actually literally means convert. It's obviously where the concept of conversion comes. But we actually need to convert our thinking around the, the sin that we entertain in our life. And I think when we do all of this... The joy of repentance results in a transformed life. It results in you and I walking closer to Jesus and further away from sin, step by step. And it's the goodness of God that takes us there. We're receiving the gift of repentance that he's given us. So I want to give some thought now to individual repentance. And I think last week Ben spoke about bringing the little things to God uh, and, and just laying them, repenting of, of those. But I just want to give some thought to individual repentance and then I'm going to talk about corporate repentance. <clears throat> and then I'm going to talk, if I've got time, about discipleship and repentance. So individual repentance. Repentance is more than simply feeling sorry. Though being sorry for past actions is certainly part of the repentance process, it is not the only thing. If repentance is so beneficial, why don't we do it all the time? I want to share some thoughts that maybe this is the reason that we don't and, and maybe help you rise above the reasons that we don't. Maybe might I suggest that you might be sitting there today thinking, well, I actually, I don't need to repent. Well, the first reason we don't repent is because of pride. And if we're sitting there saying, I don't need to repent, then it's self-evident. Repentance. For some reasons we don't repent. Repentance confronts us um, with our sin. 
Repentance requires bringing dark things into the light, and that's hard. It's difficult. We're scared, maybe, that we won't be forgiven. It's like, you know, maybe you've been dealing with this thing for a long time, and it's like, well, if I repent, you know, maybe I won't be forgiven. It's just too bad. But that's not true. That is not true. The thing about when repentance confronts us with our sin, it means that we're bringing it into the light to deal with it. It doesn't mean that the whole world has to know what it is. Maybe it's a very personal thing between you and God. The third thought is that maybe we don't repent because our identity is in our sin. And if our identity is built around sin behavior, then it's going to be very hard to let go because we've got to reorientate our identity. And our identity should always be in Christ first and foremost. Maybe, um, maybe we forget that we actually need to repent. And we've been so distracted with things that are consuming our life and our thinking in our world. And it's like we forget that it's pretty much a daily thing that we actually need to do. Or maybe we don't want to change. Maybe it's like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm happy the way I am. I don't want to change. I'm not going to repent. That's one of the reasons that we don't repent. Maybe we don't want to pay the price. Maybe we recognize if we change our behavior and the way that we live, there will be a price to pay, and we're not willing to pay that price. Can I suggest to you, putting God first is always worth paying the price. Always worth paying the price. Maybe, as I said before, it's pride. Maybe, maybe we just think we actually don't need to repent. And, and we haven't got the humility, or maybe we just can't deal with the shame that will be associated with it. Maybe we think that, uh, I know the temptation is going to be there, so I know I'm just going to sin again, so what's the point? But you know what? The scripture says that God will not tempt us, allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to resist. And so in all of this, it's like we need to get a hold of the word of God as it applies to our situation and use that to... to uh, warfare forward. Maybe another reason we don't repent is we fear man more than God. We fear what people might say or think, the ridicule of our peers or whatever it may be. Maybe we are just too full of pride that we actually can't and that we fear man more than God. This, when we start to look at the reasons why we won't repent, we realize how important repentance is. Because it means that we're reorientating our whole world to putting God first. So maybe we don't want to repent because um, nobody tells me what to do. It's like, you know, I'll do what I need to when I need to. Maybe we, um, maybe we don't repent because we think it's God's judgment that leads us to repentance, not his goodness. But it's actually his goodness that leads us to repentance. And then the other side of embracing the goodness of God. It's like, God, I know that the thing about it is that what he brings to mind, that conviction of our heart through the Holy Spirit is a gift from God because what you have allowed and embracing in your life is destructive to you. And so he's actually wanting to bring good to our life and to our world. But sometimes we can't see it. So I want to suggest don't let any of those reasons not to repent, hold you back from repenting. Let's do it on a, on a regular, daily basis as we walk forward with God. So hopefully that will help you realize what is at stake 
with our individual repentance. We'll move forward and talk about corporate repentance for a period of time now. There are numerous times in the scripture where God calls upon his people as a body to repent. In fact, even though there are numerous cases of individual repentance highlighted throughout the scripture, the majority of repentance cases is in regard to Israel as a people, the children of God as a people. I think that as churches, uh, we ought to be encouraged to repent of our sins of, of so, in so many areas. And, you know, I've um, been around church life for over 40 years now. I've seen some of the stuff that happens in church life and how hurtful and painful it can be. I've um, possibly contributed to some of it. I've been on the receiving end of some of it. But when God calls for corporate repentance, where we identify as a group of people and say, God, we are sorry, you know, I think there is a power in that. There is an empowering that. I think as churches, we need to be encouraged to repent of our sins of not loving and caring for one another as we should. And I just wonder what might happen if churches begin to examine issues and humble themselves before the Lord. If we examine the issues and, and uh, you know, I think one of the, the sad things is that uh, there are times when people get disillusioned with church and withdraw from it. But maybe the, the disillusionment is a, is a God-given gift that it could actually help the body uh, face up to some issues and move forward. But they rather withdraw themselves because of whatever, for whatever reason. But I think, you know, if we're differentiated to, enough to know that what God is asking us to do, we actually need to speak into situations at times that are not difficult, to, that are not easy to speak into. And so if we humble ourselves properly to do that well, I think that we can see a great move of God. I think that it may be even the beginning of a genuine revival when we realize that uh, what we're bringing people into is, is, is something that is going to be life-changing for them. Uh, <clears throat> I think there are times when it's appropriate to say, that's not who we are. It's who we were, but it's not who we are now. You know, as a, as a, as a church, we have a, a history, and uh, C3 in, in Canberra has, has a history, and it's not necessarily all good. Um, there's been uh, moral failures, there's been financial misappropriations over, over time, and all of these things have, had, uh, have hurt people. They have um, touched people deeply. And there are people now who are not in church or walking with God because of some of these things that as a church in time gone by, they have been hurt by. I'm going to get to that shortly because I want to lead us uh, in, shortly in a prayer of corporate repentance. Um, because we are not going to be held captive and we don't want other people held captive of the prisoner of the enemy any longer. That's not who we are. It may have been what we were, but we're not like that now. So corporate repentance involves remembering. And if you want to read a good example of corporate repentance, have a look at Daniel, the chapter 9. It talks about it there. But there's a remembering, you know, the things that, have, that we've done that were wrong. 
If we're going to repent of the things that we've done wrong, we need to remember what they were. Then there's the repenting and the confession. Then there's the relationship. The intimacy with Christ leads to intimacy with others. I love what Giselle was sharing around our We Are C3 moment earlier in the service. That relationship is so important and relationship is the conversations that we have with people. And so we, we need to... Uh, fuel those conversations and have them well. But uh, I think corporate repentance involves relationship. I think corporate repentance revolves reconciliation with God and with others. And I think uh, corporate repentance will ultimately involve revival and uh, release. In revival, we'll see the vision of the future. We can read again about this in Daniel, uh, the end of exile. Maybe, maybe there are people on the other side of our corporate repentance that we're going to do today that are going to be set free from exile that has been imposed upon them. However, but we, we are, we're, all we know is it's a work of the enemy. And so there are people who come out of exile. There will be revival and reformation that comes as a result. And we can read about that similar in, in the book of Ezra, uh, in, under Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. You know, when the walls were rebuilt under Nehemiah, it's like proper healthy boundaries were put in place and there was a revival on the other side of of that. And then a releasing. There is a release of vision that comes when there's corporate repentance. There's a release of captives that are set free. There's a release of holiness that that, uh, becomes evidence in our congregation. There is a release of societal improvement. All of these uh, you can read about in Nehemiah and Daniel. And there's a release of financial resources. We read about these in Nehemiah. There is a release that's on the other side of, of corporate repentance. So good. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a scripture that probably any of, many of us are familiar with, but is actually really, really stirring and sobering. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think there needs to be a humility attached to corporate repentance. And I think about, you know, the history of our church. Many of us don't know much about it. Deb and I have been here for eight and a half years. We're here because of some activities of previous leadership that would have hurt and grieved many people who are here and there's still some here at this time. And so, you know, I, I, I love and appreciate the people of God, every single one of you. Because you're here. And there's, for most of us, there's probably more reason not to be here than to be here. But there's something, there's something that keeps us here. And I actually want us to be able to move forward from this point. That we are actually empowered to live in a way that we're not a prisoner of the past. But we're actually empowered and released into our future. I find... You know, I just sort of, as I've wrestled with this message for a period of time now, just even trying to pull it together. And then I got the, the text message this morning about the current affair 
thing on uh, Monday. I thought, God, you know, because essentially it's a, the church that they'll be talking about in Sydney was a church, a C3 church, where the leadership was incredibly unhealthy. And the fallout and the hurt with so many people. And so I look at it and I think, God, I know that this isn't an abstract thing. It's not a theory. It's not just a concept. This is a real heartfelt reality for many of us. The power of this. And so as far as it is upon me, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that I hope will reflect the sentiments of that scripture in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God will hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and heal the land. We have a land that needs healing. There has been much criticism leveled against the church and much of it has been warranted over time. But if you and I are able to move forward and embrace repentance in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repentance that shifts hearts, that brings healing, I think that there will be a significant shift. I know that our community needs us as a church to be repentant for the things that we have done wrong. And I know as a, as a pastor, there are people here that you need to know that you've been wronged and that we are sorry. I am sorry. I'm going to read through this prayer. And I'm asking the the worship team to just uh, come underneath it and build this thing with a sense of purpose. And I pray this morning that, that you will be able to engage with the spirit of what's happening here. That healing will come to your heart if that's what needed. Well, maybe it's just a recognition again of, of the value of repentance. And maybe, just maybe, it's maybe not even, maybe the pain and the hurt for you is not around what's happened in church, but some other authority figure that I, I, this is a personal thing between you and God. But I in a sense, I'm leading us as a church in a prayer that we need to own, that we together are owning. Dear God, lead our church to repentance. Confront us with your holy words. Reveal to us our sin and brokenness so we can offer ourselves up to you as living sacrifices. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Awaken us to our corporate sin, the ones we commit as a community against you, against each other, and against our city. Show us our faults so that we may turn again towards you. Grant us the grace necessary for real repentance. We repent of how we have failed to love those who struggle in our midst. We have not always wept with those who weep. We have not always crossed the street with the Good Samaritan, inconveniencing ourselves for those who bleed. We have looked the other way. We have not acted justly, loved mercy, or walked humbly with you, O Lord. We repent. We turn away from these sins of commission and omission. 
asking for your forgiveness and restoration. Transform our congregation into a haven, a safe place. As the church, we long to be a city on a hill, a beacon of light to the broken. Lord, give us a prophetic insight to see the wounded and the brokenhearted and how we can minister Christ to the lost and broken world. Restore unto us the joy of our very real salvation. Reorientate our hearts to the gospel of the upside-down kingdom where the last are first, the small are great, and the broken are restored. If over the years you have been hurt in any way by your experience in church life, whether it be here or anywhere else, I, as a pastor and on behalf of the church, repent. I am so, so sorry. Our church is a history that is checkered. It may have been who we were, but it's not who we are. The gates of hell do not prevail. I want to repent of the following things. I repent of manipulation, intimidation, power and control. Of murmuring, of gossip, of tail-bearing, of slander, of malicious talk, of innuendo, lies, half-truths, deceptions and divisions. I repent of adultery, fornication, infidelity, all in any form of sexual impurity. Being more concerned about performance and appearance, the outer garments, than what's happening in the heart of people, your people go. We repent of unrealistic expectations in the name of the church. I repent of not address, addressing sin for what it is. I repent of idolatry, of the fear of man, of not trusting God as our source, as our source. Repent of financial impropriety. We repent of embracing the spirit of the age, of pride and competitiveness. We repent of the breach of trust and the betrayal that so many have of your people God have experienced. We repent of taking offence and of giving offence. We repent of political correctness, of intolerance and compromise. We repent of apathy, lukewarmness and half-heartedness. We repent of not giving honour where honour is due. And as we repent, we believe that these strongholds are being demolished. This morning, once again, rend our hearts before you. We are sorry. I am sorry. We come against every hex and spell and incantation and curse, whether brought upon ourselves or pronounced upon us by others. We repent today and we renounce them. We ask that our repentance would unlock a revival in our community, our city and our church. We ask that the prodigals can return back to your house, God. We long to see revival and we know that a move of God follows godly sorrow and repentance. Have mercy on us as we lament and repent, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Let's stand. Father, I pray, I ask God that we would leave this place today. God, with a hypersensitivity to the convicting work of your spirit and what you are speaking to each and every one of us individually. I pray that 
shackles have been broken this morning. Lord, of hurts and betrayals and all of those other things. And I pray, Lord, that from this day forward, as we go forward as a, as a church, as your representation here on planet Earth, that, God, we would take to heart. Take to heart. Lord, that our hearts would melt. Our hearts would melt with the goodness of God as you bring us to repentance, God. I just want to invite you in this moment to open your hands and your posture before God and just to respond to what He is saying to your heart today and just say, I am sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. Sometimes it's even difficult to articulate what it is that we're sorry for. But God, we stand in your presence today with our heart turned, our heart converted, our heart of repentance towards you, God. Lord, may it affect us intellectually, emotionally, emotionally, and voluntarily, Lord, as we make decisions based on your melting our heart this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.